Here's a simple buy low, sell high business model that still works and could be earning you thousands of dollars a month. What's up? What's up, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because the deals are out there. You just got to know where to look. One person who's become a master deal hunter is Charlie William, who earned several thousand dollars selling used books on Amazon last month. I connected with Charlie through the Side Hustle Nation community on Facebook and invited him on the show to learn more about his book flipping business. Stick around in this episode to hear how you can get started, where to source profitable inventory, and what it really takes to make this side hustle successful. I'm talking about the tools, the time required, the logistics, and some other factors to consider. Notes and links for this one, along with the full text summary with all of Charlie's top tips, are at sidehustlenation.com slash charlie. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this chat with Charlie after the interview. Ready? Let's do it. I wanted to find something to make some extra money. I had some, I had a kid two years ago now, and I had another one on the way at the time. So I needed to find whatever ways I could to make money that wasn't being gone 40 hours a week just because I had to help a lot with these kids and everything. So I saw a friend of mine talking about all these Amazon numbers he was doing. So I contacted him. And he was doing like private label stuff, doing like a million dollars a year, crazy numbers. And I talked to him for a little bit. And then I ended up talking to another friend that got me in touch with a f- this other kid that was doing just mainly books, my buddy Christian. And we got to talking a lot about it. And he gave me a bunch of tips about it. And I just downloaded Scout IQ and just jumped into it. And I've just been addicted ever since. So my understanding of how this works, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is you download the app, Scout IQ being one of them, and I imagine there are others as well. And then you start scanning barcodes, like ISBN barcodes of different books, and it tells you what this thing is selling for on Amazon. Yes, that is right. And then it calculates Amazon's fees and everything too. You put in your buy costs, and then it shows you what your profit should be if you sell it for what it's listed for after Amazon's fees and everything. What's the scanning app cost you? For the live version, which pulls the data straight off the internet live, is $14 a month, but the database version is $44. I use the database now just because it's way faster. At first, I started with the live version, but I'm using using database now. Okay, so the live, my understanding is there's a thinking time where it's got to ping the server, okay, what is the price at this moment? But the database one, just you can pull it instantly. Yeah, you go out before you go sourcing and you download the database and it's a decent size download. It takes a little bit to download and you should do it while you're on Wi-Fi. And I just download the database before I go out and the results are just instant. And it's also nice too because there's a library sale I go to that has poor cell phone reception. So you don't have to worry about any of that either with database mode. Yeah, I remember doing that for my FBA, like clearance arbitrage sourcing days. I was in this Walgreens and I'm like, I got one bar and it's like struggling to come up with the pricing stuff. Okay. So the database removes that element from the equation. And as long as you have an updated version, you have a reasonably confident idea of what that current price is. So 44 bucks, was that your startup cost? That and Amazon Pro Seller account is 40 a month. And just a couple tools, like a Bluetooth barcode scanner, and a label printer. And then I use listing software too, which is $30 a month. But I mean, you could get by without that at first. 
I didn't have any of that at first. I had a live Scout IQ account, no Bluetooth scanner, just using my camera on the phone. And I just started out just listing everything through Seller Central. And it just got to a point where it was too much. And I, I needed the software to make the process faster because, I mean, I got probably 200 books that I need to list right now. And I mean, that would take me hours without the listing software. So, I mean, it still is going to take me hours, but with the listing software, it's just less hours. Tell me about your first sourcing trip. Where'd you go? What'd you find? I went to the Goodwill and I, I don't even remember the exact book I found. I found a few. I could pull up the first book I sold in my tracking spreadsheet, but it's hard for me to remember the exact book that was the first one I found. That's okay. I don't expect you to have your first dollar pinned to the wall. But like, so you go into the Goodwill, you go to the book section. Are you getting any awkward looks as you're standing there scanning this stuff? Like, I mean, you probably aren't the first person to come in and do it, but. Yeah, I got a couple awkward looks at first. And I mean, now it's just more people just asking what I'm doing. And I really don't even care about awkward looks anymore. I'm making money. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) At first, it felt really awkward. But now I just don't even care anymore. Are there stores that say no scanners? I feel like I came across this maybe at the library bookstore was like, it had become an issue. There's book sales that advertise no scanners on like the first day. And I think there's some book sales that advertise like they don't want them there, but I haven't been to any that do that and I haven't encountered that at all. All right. So you head up to the the Goodwill, head up to the library sales. Any other places that you found have been a good source for inventory? Yard sales are pretty good and they're fun in the summertime to just, or in the spring when the weather's nice to just bounce around to a couple of yard sales. What else? I, I look on Facebook Marketplace a lot and I'll find college kids that are getting rid of cheap textbooks. And I actually have like a little method. I, I show you how to do it on my Instagram, but I, I pull up the marketplace ads on my iPad and then I scan the screen to get the ISBN number with the Amazon seller app off my phone of the covers of the books off the screen to get the ISBN number to copy and paste into Scout IQ instead of like manually typing in all the titles and everything. It's just way faster to scan it off the iPad with my phone. I live in a college town, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of college kids, especially it's good at the end of each semester and at the beginning of each semester is when people are trying to sell books to get on the marketplace and let go and offer up and all those and I'll track down college kids. I mean, I have a lot of times I'll just say, hey, I'm busy, but can I Venmo you and give you my address and I'll come home and have textbooks sitting on my doorstep. So that's that's nice. Oh, okay, okay. And like for these college kids, they've found whatever. Like I I finished the class. I I just want to get rid of this thing. Like whatever you can give me for it is fine. They're not searching on Amazon. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes they know what the book is selling for and they, they'll, I mean, a lot of times they want way too much. You just have to find like some of the people that don't care and, and they're willing to sell it for what it's worth it to me. I, I've found crazy deals, but at the same time, sometimes I'll hit somebody up and they want what it's selling for on Amazon, which is not worth anybody's time to try to buy from them. So. Yeah. It's like, well, go sell it yourself if that's if that's your game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so textbooks are a hit. Any other niche of books, if there is such a thing? Yeah, pretty much all nonfiction. Anything educational, really. Religion is very big. 
just arts and crafts, music, sheet music. I notice like a lot of people skip over at book sales and I find money in sheet music all the time. Pretty much anything nonfiction. Every once in a while, I'll find a couple of fiction books, but if it's just a fiction section, I'll usually not bother. But if there's fiction books mixed in and I'm just scanning through a bunch of books and I'm not really checking to see what's what, I'll find some fiction books here and there. But most of the time, the money is definitely in the nonfiction. Yeah, that's really fascinating because it's like, yeah, these mass market paperbacks, once they're printed and sold once, like they're worth almost nothing. And it's like, they're not even worth the paper that they're printed on in a lot of cases. And it's so weird that some of these textbooks could be worth 80 bucks. Is it just a supply and demand thing? It's fascinating. Yeah, it's really weird. I I think that is what it is. A lot of it is the mass market fiction books. They just get mass produced to where there's just so many of them out there. And then there's merchant fulfilled sellers that get a hold of them and sell them for next to nothing. And then it just crashes the market on them where nonfiction books just seem to hold their value. Yeah, I've, I know I've bought like Lonely Planets for like a penny plus shipping. And it's like, I don't know how you're making money on this, but okay, $4, I'll take it. Yeah, it's really weird. Some of the prices I see on Amazon of other Amazon sellers selling books for crazy cheap. And I'm like, well, you guys are, I don't know how they're making money, but I don't know. It's weird. When somebody is advertising that same product, that same book that you have for way less, are you stressed out about turning that inventory over or you say, well, I'll let you sell your copy and then I'll keep getting my price next week or next month. I really don't pay enough attention to it or care. Like I probably going to look into a different pricing method soon. This new software that came out by the guys that made Scout IQ, a new price. It's like a manual repricing software. Right now I use an automatic repricer that just reprices all my inventory to match the lowest prime offer four times a day. And I have it set to do it four times a day. You can do it as many times as you want or 20 up to 20 times a day, but I do mine four times a day. And I mean, there's definitely been books that I lost a little bit of money on, but I mean, to reprice your inventory of over a thousand books regularly and make sure that you're on every single end. I mean, there's some books that you don't expect it and they're just going to crash and Especially being a new seller, I, I go through my inventory sometimes that are for books that I bought when I first started. I'm like, why did I even buy this? And I end up disposing of it because it's like the market's crashed or I made a mistake buying or I, I don't know what I was thinking in April when I first started with some of the books that I recently disposed of. But there's definitely times when you can buy a book and it's worth money at one point. And then Amazon jumps on the listing and starts selling brand new copies of the same book for $9.99, then all the used prices crash. And that that happens from time to time. So you can't really be too worried about every single book that you have in. It's more of just like a volume thing. And overall, you're definitely not going to lose, but you might on a book here and there. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. And your exposure on each individual title is just a couple, you know, one or two copies. It's not like, oh, I went big and bought out 500 copies. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about the buying criteria. So you've got the scanner app and you're in the store, you're at the yard sale. 
are you pre-populating the app with like, here's the criteria that I'm looking for in terms of spread? So it like shows you a nice, like, yes, buy this image or something. Yes. There's a default triggers that are built in and I still use the default triggers, even though I probably should make my own triggers at this point, because there's a lot of times when I get an accept that comes up and I still don't buy it just because I have my own kind of triggers in my head that I know what I'm looking for. But there's a default set of triggers that basically accepts books based on their e-score, which is how many times or how many days out of the last six months that book has sold at least one copy. So it's a number between zero and 151 plus is what it says. It doesn't say over 151, but it'll say either zero or 151. If it says like 18, you know, in the last six months, it's sold 18 days. It won't tell you how many copies on those days because Amazon doesn't give that data, but it tells you how many days out of the last six months it's sold at least one copy. And then there's a sales rank number two, which is... If you know about Amazon, every product has a sales rank and basically just tells you how often a book sells. Right. So a sales rank of number one in a particular category, like that's the best selling book in this category. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yes. And so based on the e-score and the sales rank, there's a certain amount of profit that you want based on the triggers that you either set or if you use the default triggers, like the bigger sales rank and the less it sells, the more profit, obviously, you're after. And that's to compensate you for like turnover time, just inventory risk. Yeah, and there's long-term storage fees if your book is there for over a year, and there's storage fees involved and stuff like that. So, I mean, and you don't want your money tied up for a longer period without making more money on your, your investment, too. So, yeah, it basically just says accept, and it shows up green, or it says reject. So... Most books are going to be reject. Most books are not worth selling on Amazon. So you have to use the software to scan through all the rejects as fast as you can to get to the good ones, pretty much. Do you know what those default triggers are? Like, what do they want to see in terms of sales rank or sold days? Sales rank 1 to 50,000 is $2 profit. Then 50 to 125,000 with 115 to 150 East Decor, that's still $2 profit. And then it bumps up to 250 profit at 125,000 sales rank and 250,000. It bumps to 250. Okay. So they say if you're going to make two bucks on this, that's okay because it's going to turn as soon as it hits the warehouse. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But they don't know your buying price or is that something you punch in? No, you have to, you punch that in. So it factors in your buying price too. Okay. Is there a target ROI or minimum? profit per book that you like? For me, yeah. I mean, I don't buy anything under 100% ROI, really. I mean, usually I spend a dollar or two a book, and my ROI is usually crazy. Like, there's no other business with a bigger ROI, I don't think. I mean, you can spend... I mean, I found books yesterday. Yesterday was President's Day, half-off Goodwill sales and other thrift store sales. So I went to like eight thrift stores, five Goodwills, by the time I was done, I was like an hour and a half away from my house. I went to so many places. When I was at the third one I went to, the fourth one was 45 minutes away. And it, the longer that Goodwill's been open, the more of a chance you got of showing up to a bunch of rejects because somebody else has cleaned it out. So I was like, oh, man, should I take this drive? And I was like, oh, I'm going to go try it. And I drove another 45 minutes, and there was still good books on the shelf. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. 
So I went to the next one and then it was dead. It was done. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go home. I'm done. Somebody beat me to it. Yeah. Somebody beat me to the fifth one, but I made it to four. I hit four goodwills before the fifth one with somebody beat me to it. And then I actually have a kind of a system that I do on the half off goodwill sales to kind of give myself a head start. I scan the first goodwill that I'm going to go to the day before and I scan it at the half off price in my buy cost. And anyone that comes up as an accept, I put a little sticker on the spine. And then I'm back at that Goodwill the next morning, like waiting for them to open the doors. And then I'm checking out of that first Goodwill like two minutes after they open because I already know where everything good is. Okay, okay. Sneaky. I like it. So that's a little trick, yeah, that I do. And that that gives me a chance to make it to the next Goodwill very shortly after they open. So I'm able to kind of get a head start. Yeah. Has this become a full-time thing for you? Like what gives you the flexibility to take off on a random Monday and go do this? Yeah, I have a couple other like hustles that I do. Like I just bought a wood fire pizza truck. I haven't gotten it open yet, but I'm kind of working on that right now. And I mean, it has been one of my main pretty much sources of income for a little while. I don't know. It's fun for me. I love running around and finding as many books as I can. And I don't know. It's just fun. Yeah, there's a treasure hunt feel to it and a little bit of a needle in the haystack feel to it, but definitely a treasure hunt feel. So you spend a couple bucks per book. Is there such thing as a typical sales price or what makes it a win for you? I want it to sell for at least 10, 20. Like what's, what's a good sales price? A lot of it depends on the weight of the book too, because that, that'll depend on the Amazon's, their fees and stuff. So a light book that's $10, you might make more money off a heavy book that's $13 just because the Amazon's going to charge you more in fees for the heavier books. So it's it's kind of hard to say an exact price that's, I mean, sometimes I'll find books at a thrift store for $2 that's selling on Amazon for a hundred some dollars. Like one of my best flips a couple months ago, I bought a two books at one time they were like almost, they were on the same shelf for $2 a piece. And I got over a hundred dollars for each of them. I got $154 for one of them and like $120 for the other one. It was crazy. Wow. 150 bucks for a book. Yep. 154. Gutenberg Bible first, first edition. (laughs) No, it was like a business, some kind of business book, some kind of textbook. Wow. The, The market can go pretty high on here. So you're not necessarily trying to flip these things and make like a dollar or two per, it's like you may make tens of dollars per flip. Oh yeah. One of the Goodwills, some of the Goodwills I went to yesterday, I was finding like $60 profit, $20, $30. Like, yeah, a lot of times I'll spend a dollar or two and turn it into 50 to a hundred dollars. Yeah. That's a great way to multiply money, especially if it turns over quickly, then you plow that back into more inventory If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. 
Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's become a bottleneck for you? Is it just time to source? Is it the availability of products to flip? Is it something else that I'm not thinking of? Yeah, a lot of it is there's definitely been a growing competition around me. So I've definitely like learned to just step out of my normal route to find things from other areas. Not that long ago, actually, I took a trip just to see if I could fund a vacation doing this. And I took a week long trip and we went down to LA, brought my kids and the girl, my girl down to Disneyland. And we spent a few days down in LA and then we took our time coming back up the coast and went to Monterey. I went to the aquarium and stayed in San Luis Obispo for a night. And I just hit everywhere down in LA. Like we'd go to Disneyland one day and then we'd take off and I'd run around to thrift stores. Then we'd go back to Disneyland and I'd take off Disneyland and run around to thrift stores. And then we'd go up to San Luis Obispo and I ran around and we just tried to make as much money while we could while we were also on vacation. And I didn't break even just because we were staying in nice hotel rooms and eating out for dinner all the time. And it was an expensive trip and it was a week long, you know, but I got back about $1,500 of what we spent, which, I mean, that trip usually is, would have been something at the time that I would probably have said, we can't afford to go on this trip. But I was pretty confident in the fact that I could make a decent amount of money by being in different cities every day. Cause if you're on the move all the time, you're hitting shelves that you don't hit every day. And I was able to round up quite a bit of inventory and I would I brought my computer with me and my listing set up and everything. And I would put together shipments in the hotel rooms at night. And then I would just ship them. I would ship them out of whatever UPS I was around. Oh, nice. I was going to say, like, by the end, you got, by the time you got home, like the back of the car is filled with books. Yeah, that was great about the FBA thing fulfilled by Amazon. I was able to just use the hotels I was staying at as return addresses when I was making my shipments. And I would just drop off in my route, just drop off all the books I was collecting. So that way I didn't have to store anything in the car on the way home or anything like that. Yeah, that's awesome. So I was going to ask about the fulfillment by Amazon versus 
merchant fulfilled, meaning you would be the one to ship the book out to the end customer. So it sounds like you're going to ship all the stuff into the central Amazon warehouses. And when somebody buys it, they ship it out on your behalf. And in exchange for that convenience, you pay them a higher fee. Yes. You can also, you also charge a little bit more for the books because you're, it's available prime. So they charge a little bit higher fee, but you're also charging a little bit more. So there's money in buying books from merchant fulfilled sellers and then reselling the same book, like buying them off. I've done this a little bit, but when I first started, I did it and I made some mistakes and lost a little bit of money on a couple books, but I made some money on a couple books too. It was kind of like a learning process where I, I didn't make a bunch, but I didn't lose a bunch either. But there's software called eFlip that I use. There's other ones too, but I used eFlip. You find books that are available merchant fulfilled and the software filters Amazon and shows you based on the criteria you enter. It shows you books that are available merchant fulfilled that you can have sent to your house and then box them up and send them into Amazon and sell them prime for a profit. So there's money in that too, but it requires a lot more capital. And I, I just love the thrift store running around and finding books for a dollar or two part of it. I'll probably try the eFlip thing again, but for right now, I'm going to just continue to do the, the cherry picking out of thrift stores and book sales and stuff. Yeah, the thrill of the hunt. It's interesting because this is not a new side hustle. This is something that's been around for years and years, but it's interesting that you're still able to find profitable inventory just about everywhere you go everywhere yeah it's insane like i was it's funny i said this is actually another little story on my disney trip we stopped at a gas station and we weren't even planning on like finding books there or anything we just pulled off the highway pulled into a gas station and right next to the gas station there was this little thrift store that said it was like one of those paws like donates money to animals type thrift store you know and I was like, Jenny, I'm going to run in here real quick and check this out. And I found like probably 15 books in there. And one of them I sold for like $100 and I bought it for two bucks. And it was just crazy. Like we spent 40 bucks on gas. And while I was there, I probably made 80. And it took me about the amount of time it took my girlfriend to pump the gas and breastfeed the kid. I, I probably made almost $100 at the thrift store. Wow. And meanwhile, you're writing off all your mileage because, hey, I'm going sourcing and everything becomes a business trip now. Have you found that the shipping costs to Amazon eat into your margins? I'm curious, like how you bake that in, because like I imagine a a box full of books is not lightweight. No, I ship about forty to forty five pounds in at a time, and it usually costs me about nine dollars. <laughs> if you took forty pounds to the post office, they would like charge you. I don't even know. Like Amazon's negotiated rates are insane. Yeah, with UPS that you drop it off at UPS and it's with a prepaid label and it's like eight, nine bucks or something like that. And and it's not that bad. And then really, and when you're sourcing, Scout IQ is also factoring that all in and the triggers too. So it gives you an idea after Amazon's fees and the inbound shipping and everything of what you should be making when you're sourcing. So Okay, so that's kind of the strategy is to save up until you have a box load or a box full and then ship it all in at once? Yeah. Sometimes many boxes full. Like right now I, I, I probably have like four or five boxes full and I, and I I have a big book sale I'm going to on Thursday. So I, I need to get all this done because I'll just be overwhelmed pretty soon if I don't get all these books sent in. They stack up quick if you're constantly at it. So 
but yeah, I, I usually just wait until I have at least 30 books probably. And then I'll put a shipment together and try to get it. I try to get everything out as soon as possible, just because the market changes and you want to, you don't want your books and your pretty much your money just sitting there, not flipping. So once you source the books, you want to get them in as fast as you can. But sometimes I'll get a little bit behind like right now. But yeah, I usually wait till I have about 30 books or so. What's the inventory software that you're using? I use Acceler List for listing. And then I use a tracking spreadsheet that the book flipper, the guy that made Scout IQ, that he sells. It's it's just for tracking everything. I just recently started using that because I'm trying to set up some consignment deals and that helps track that very carefully. So, Okay, consignment deals, meaning you're going to have a relationship with your neighbors or with a bookstore to say, like, whatever you have, I'll sell it on your behalf and split the profits with you? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, that's a creative way to to go about it and maybe maybe accept lower margin up front yourself, but save your time on sourcing. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to pay anything up front and they get paid when the book sells and you just get a percentage for your time. Do you have a sense of the nine grand in sales last month, the percentage of that that was profit? I would say about four grand probably. It's usually right around 40% or so. Gotcha, gotcha. So the rest is inventory costs, software fees, and just kind of like stuff from previous months. Amazon's fees, Amazon fees too. They take a decent bit for sure. Out of a, call it a $25 sales price, like what are they taking in fees? It depends on the weight of the book, but I would say roughly almost probably about half. Okay, geez. Yeah. Amazon is going to figure out a way to get paid no matter what. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, I mean, they're fulfilling the orders, and that's included with prime shipping and everything. So they make it very easy. Okay, so you've got to buy it well under the list price, like almost an order of magnitude under the list price to make it worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, I don't like to spend more than $3 on a book. That's usually around my max. I mean, I'll spend $4. If it's a college book that I'm finding on Facebook, I would... I've spent up to like 20 bucks on a book if I can get back like 60 or something like that. But I typically like to spend about two, three dollars, even cheaper, like a dollar sometimes. I mean, you could find books at garage sales for a quarter and stuff. It's, it's crazy. People just give it away. I mean, I have ads on Facebook too saying that I'll like pick up books if you want them out of your house and I'll, I'll pick up free boxes of books and scan through those and find profitable books that way. And there's plenty of free books, too. People just want them out of their house a lot of times. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, the consignment deals. You start to build a reputation in, in your neighborhood, in your town. Like, hey, you're the, he's the book guy. Like, hey, if we need something to get rid of, go talk to Charlie. Yep, definitely. I had a kid. I met the guy probably two years ago at a party, and I barely even recognized him when he messaged me on Facebook. But he said, hey, are you still hustling books? I was like, yeah. He's like, come on over. I'm about to move. I have boxes of books that you, I need to get rid of. And and there wasn't too much in there. Actually, the most profitable book was like full of water damage and had like mold and stuff. So I couldn't take that, but sucked because it was like a $200 book. But there was a couple books in there that were worth like 50 bucks a piece. And I ended up taking all the ones that weren't worth anything and donating them and dropping them off at free little libraries and stuff like that. So I ended up, I ended up making a little bit just because people knew that I was the book. And I, I also have like 
friends that text me and they're like, hey, I have a friend that has this textbook they want to get rid of and stuff like that. So definitely it's good to be known as like the book guy for sure. That's interesting. It's like, oh, it's, it was water damaged or you should put a sticker on all the ones that you return to the donation centers. You make sure not to scan those the next time. Oh, yeah, that's I actually don't like to donate back to Goodwills or places that I do. I don't like to donate where I go source for that reason. <laughs> like I'm just making more work for myself down the road. Yeah, exactly. Because I'll just scan the same book again later. But I'd rather donate them to like free little libraries or I mean, I'd rather drop them off at a recycling center and just get them completely out of the market than to put them back on the shelf where I'm going to be scanning again. Do you see down the road like because Goodwill has got to know that you're coming in and what your game plan is like the bookstores have to know what what goes on like does there come a point where they turn around and just do this themselves and like the inventory dries up you would think some goodwills i hear do and I, you'll see them on amazon listings and the seller will be like goodwill and then the name of a city so i'd imagine that some goodwills are doing this but this isn't new and it's been going on for years and years. So I think that the places that are going to do it would be doing it by now. And I mean, a lot of the places, they just don't want to deal with it. I, I think a lot of it too is a lot of thrift store older owners are older and they don't want to deal with the online thing and they just don't want to mess with it. Like a bookstore that I go to regularly, the lady knows she could make more online but she just doesn't. And uh, last time I was in there, she mentioned something about how she doesn't want to deal with it. And I mentioned that I will deal with it for her. And I'm going to, I'm actually going back in there this week and I'm going to bring her a sample of monthly reports off the consignment tracking spreadsheet I have. And I'm going to show her how I could track everything and try to work out a deal with her. And when I first mentioned it to her, she seemed very interested. So I think when I go back in there and show her how I can track everything professionally, and I'm pretty sure she's going to be on board. She said she has quite a few people coming in and, and doing this. So I couldn't imagine her not wanting a way to make more money for herself and also would help me out too. So it would be a win-win for both of us. So I don't, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be able to line that up hopefully this week, which would be pretty huge. I, I could see it being beneficial for both of us, for sure. It almost doesn't make sense to do it just onesie twosies. Like you have to have a certain volume, you have to have a certain scale to make it interesting, to make it worthwhile. Like you said, I got to collect 40 pounds of books before it's even worthwhile to send a shipment in it. If you just have one or two titles lying around, it's like, it's not even worth it. Like just, yeah, I'll just send them to Charlie, you know? Yeah, it's not, especially with all the software fee, the the cost of the software every month and everything. If you're going to do it, you need to really go after it. And a lot of people, they see all the YouTube videos of people making it look easy, and then they start doing it and realize that it's actually like an everyday hustle that you have to really put some time and work into to make it work. And a lot of people quit pretty quickly because they realize it's not some get-rich-quick thing. Yeah, it's passive when it sells, but it's really active to find that inventory. And if you stop sourcing, eventually the inventory dries up. And especially if you're in a city with some competitors, like the the Goodwill near me is is crazy. There's people that are at the door before they open almost every day. I mean, it's just crazy. I still find a decent bit in my town, but I, I'm out there almost every day. Okay, I was going to ask what your time involvement, time commitment looks like. I usually scan for 
I probably do it about four to five days a week. And then I, I probably go out for about an hour to two hours each time, depending on, I mean, yesterday was crazy. It was half off for, if it's a half off holiday thing, I'll be out for a lot longer. Like I left my house yesterday at seven in the morning and I didn't get home until about 4 PM yesterday. So a lot of that was driving, but I spent quite a bit of time in thrift stores yesterday. For the most part, it's just an hour or two a day, probably four or five days a week. And then if there's book sales, I mean, that's a that's different too. I'll spend a little bit more time if there's, I, I go to a book sale at our library in Chico every Saturday. I'm there as long as they have a sale going. Then there's other ones too that I hit every once in a while that are outside of Chico. But I, I usually go to the one in Chico every Saturday. And there's one this week in Orland I'm going to go to on Thursday. But yeah, it's just a couple hours here and there. But for the amount of time that it takes, I think the payout is great. As long as you're, you have to be consistent or you're going to have competitors that are consistent just taking everything. Because, I mean, a lot of times, too, what people will do is they'll go out a couple times, not find anything, and then quit. But a lot of it is just figuring out the best times to go because you never know. You could be, you could be going out at the wrong time walk in and right after someone else got there. Yeah. Is this, does it make sense to like befriend the store employee and be like, well, what time does so-and-so come in and clear everything out? That makes a lot of sense. I actually, I carry around $10 Starbucks gift cards to give to employees that, that are cool with me to try to build relationships, to get like back room access into thrift stores before, before books even hit the shelf to where I can scan them in the back room. I've done that a couple times. Oh my gosh. This is a whole, this is a whole nother economy. Actually, a friend of mine had a similar deal with like the store manager of his local target where it was like, Hey, you got clearance stuff. I want to be the first to know. And it just is an interesting flipping business, reselling business. Yeah. You definitely want to build relationships with employees. So that's a huge thing without that. I mean, you have a huge advantage if you, have employees that are willing to help you out and let you know. Usually when I go to a new source, like I found a new source, which is crazy just last week. And I, I can't believe I've never been there before because it's not that far from my house. And the first thing I am asking is when do you guys put new books out? Because I, I tell everyone what I do. I don't, I don't care. I think more comes out of telling them what you do than hiding it. And I, I just tell them at checkout because everybody asks, like, wow, you read a lot. And I'm like, no, I'm actually selling these because they see me come to checkout with 20 books. I just tell them, like, I sell books on Amazon. And when do you guys put new books out? Do you do it regularly? And I just try to figure out, like, their schedule, which is super helpful. If you can figure out when they put out new books and then just be there on that day, you have a huge advantage over the guy that tries to hide what he's doing and acting like a weirdo. That, that would totally be me. It'd be like, I don't know. Just, you just got to own it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a reseller. Like here's, here's what I do. And it's like, yeah, you, by being upfront, that makes so much more sense than like trying to like awkwardly hide your phone in your arm and like do it. Yeah. Cause I mean, they know that booksellers are out there and that people are doing it. So you might as well tell them that what you're doing it, it'll benefit you more than hiding it. For sure. Well, Charlie, you've got the consignment stuff coming up. You've got the pizza truck coming up. What else is on the horizon for you this year? Oh, man, I eventually want to start getting into bulk books because there's a lot of money in that. I just need to get into it. I just need to get some more money together and get a warehouse. 
Yeah, if I could get a warehouse to get some bulk books sent there, that would just be another source. And I mean, you don't have to worry about beating the competition with that. You just get pallets, the Gaylords of books sent there, and then you just have a steady flow of books that way. So after the pizza thing, that's kind of my next uh, mission. How does the bulk thing work? What do you mean by that? So you order, which... A lot of it is finding a good source where the books aren't scanned through or just finding a steady source, too. Of You order books by the pound. They come in pallets of about a 1,000 pounds, I think it is. I have a friend that does it, and he does pretty well with it, but you just get pallets and sort through those. The, one of the biggest headaches with that, though, is finding finding places to put all your duds once you're done scanning through them all because you're going to end up with thousands and thousands. Of- right. Oh, my gosh. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm envisioning this massive thousand-pound pallet of books. And, yeah, what do you do with the ones that aren't worth anything? Yeah, so you have to bundle some together and sell them on eBay, like of different authors and stuff. Like eBay, you can get rid of some of them. but And then sell back your book, and different book buyback companies will pay like a couple cents here and a couple cents there for some duds, and those will that'll add up. But you'll end up with a lot that you can't do anything with. So you you got to set all that up and and figure out like recycling centers that might take them or, or different places to put them before you even start getting involved in that because it'll just pile up on you quickly if you don't figure that out before you you jump into it. So. I've gone through a couple of them and it just turned into like mass books piled up in my garage that my girlfriend was always like, get these books out of here. So (laughs) it turns into kind of a headache if you don't have it figured out before. So I I I would definitely want to uh, start with maybe a storage unit and get it just a few of them sent there or something and try to figure out what to do with the duds before I jump into getting a warehouse and a truckload. But definitely that would probably be the next step to go. Also hiring book scouters in other cities, which I've done a little bit of that. My girlfriend's brother in Wisconsin, actually, he's probably uh, hustled the hardest as far as hiring people to find books for me. He's sent me a few boxes of books. And I'll, I set a triggers and I have a team account on Scout IQ. So it just says accept or reject. And then I tell them like, I'll give you $4 per book that comes up as an accept and whatever you pay for the book is on you. So if you get the book for a dollar, they make $3, you know, after they get like 20 books together or so, I'll have them weigh the box. I'll, I'll order them a prepaid shipping label with PayPal and I'll email it to them and I'll have the shipping label mailed to myself and I'll have the shipping costs set in Scout IQ's triggers too. So I'm, I'm factoring all that in. So then I, I get boxes of profitable books showing up at the front door, which is nice. And then he's now got a little side hustle for himself too. So yeah, and he does—he's not taking the inventory risk or you know taking on all these different software fees. Yeah, exactly. Once he gets the books together and sends them to me, I, I give him a portion of the money. And then once it gets to me, I give him give him the rest. And you get a couple duds that way, just because the Scout IQ triggers aren't like a hundred percent. Sometimes you get a book I wouldn't typically spend $4 on, but overall it's definitely profitable and it's nice. It's very convenient to just have books showing up at the door. And and also it's cool to help him out too. It gives him a little hustle to make some money too. So yeah, there's a way to expand your sourcing to different geographic areas. Yeah, which is huge because that's really what it's all about. I mean, the more areas and the more thrift stores that you can be pulling books out of definitely the better so 
All right. Well, I'm going to go take a little scanning trip for you. I'll see what I can find here locally. <laughs> yeah. I'll send you a scanner. Yes. All right. Well, Charlie, really appreciate you uh, joining me. You can check him out on Instagram. He's Charlie Hustles Books, Hustles with a Z. We'll link up his YouTube channel for you as well in the show notes for this episode. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. I would say to uh, just stay consistent with whatever you're doing, books or, I mean, selling anything or whatever hustle you're doing, uh, just stay consistent with it and it'll it'll eventually pay off. If you start slacking on it, it's not going to pay off as well. So just stay stay consistent. I like it, man. Well, thank you so much for joining me and we'll catch up with you soon. All right, my top three takeaways from this call with Charlie. Number one is to commit. You can study all you want, but you never really know until you try. I know Charlie mentioned several different tools and monthly expenses he's added to help with his business over time, but he also mentioned that he started out much leaner. It was only when he found something that was, number one, working, and number two, that he enjoyed doing, did he make those investments to make his life easier. This very easily could be a $100 startup, including your initial inventory. Then it becomes a matter of employing Charlie's number one tip to stay consistent. I thought he gave good insight into both the positives and negatives of this business without overhyping it. He's definitely putting in the work here, but I think if you give yourself, say, a one to three month time frame to test this out or any other side hustle for that matter, you'll get a taste of whether or not it's something that can work for you. So that was takeaway number one for me to commit. Try it out. Takeaway number two was to get creative with sourcing. This one is specific to the book flipping business. Charlie mentioned multiple times the competition that's out there doing the same thing. If you have access to the same deals as everyone else, it becomes a game of luck more than anything else, as in who can get there first. So I liked how Charlie was combating that from a bunch of different angles. He talked about working out consignment deals, sourcing on Facebook Marketplace, running his own books wanted ads, building relationships with the shop owners and employees, even paying other scanners looking for a side hustle. And now he's talking about, at the end of the call, looking into bulk orders. So being able to consistently source profitable inventory is the lifeblood of any flipping business, any e-commerce business, really. When the deals dry up, eventually so do your sales and profits. So the good news is here, is this where you can kind of put on your own entrepreneurial creative thinking hat and build in some competitive advantages. That was takeaway number two for me. Get creative with the sourcing for this stuff. Takeaway number three was to be mindful of all the fees. Like Charlie said, book flipping is definitely a volume game. Your margins on each individual purchase might look great, and they need to look great, but you have to account for shipping, for Amazon fees, and for the inevitable price drops on some of your inventory. Of course, Amazon is doing you a huge service. I mean, they're making this entire business possible. When it's all said and done, holding a 30 to 40% profit margin is still a pretty sweet business. I think the stat is like grocery stores operate on a 1% profit margin. So 30, 40%, not bad. One interesting thing that Charlie noted after we stopped recording was that while most books are unrestricted to new Amazon sellers, some hot-selling textbooks might be gated for you. So he said when he finds one of those and they get flagged in his app, he buys them anyway because he can still sell them profitably on eBay. Once again, you'll find the full text summary with all of Charlie's top tips from this episode, along with links to all the tools and resources mentioned over at sidehustlenation.com slash Charlie. 
That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.